Hello, my name is Dean Bobar, and I am the Adult Life Minister at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. As a church, we are seeking to cultivate a vibrant community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world so our neighbors may also experience God's goodness. You're listening to our Year in the Bible podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. What do you do during hard times? How can you discern God's hand during a difficult situation? For this week's podcast, I'll be covering what are known as Paul's prison letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Paul wrote these letters while he was imprisoned for his faithfulness to Christ. We hear about Paul's imprisonment at Rome, the first one, while he awaits trial there in Acts 28, verses 11 through 31. I'd encourage you to read it and check it out to see the background to to these letters. While in prison, he was able to see God at work despite his hard times. Because we're exploring four of Paul's letters, though they are short, I'll say just a bit about each book in terms of each book's audience, situation, and message. You might recall that this is one good way to engage with each letter in the New Testament to talk about its audience, situation, and message, and how they all interact. First, let's get started with Ephesians. There is some difficulty in discerning the identity of the audience. Some biblical translations do not include the words in Ephesus in chapter 1, verse 2. The reason for this is that the earliest and best New Testament Greek manuscripts omit these words. The New Testament letter named, quote-unquote, Ephesians was most likely a circular letter. This kind of letter was meant to be passed around and read to peoples within a certain area or that had a certain connection with each other. It seems that Paul intended Ephesians to be such a letter, addressing an audience of Christian communities in the Roman province of Asia, in other words, modern-day Turkey, pretty much. The general situation Paul addressed to these communities was their need to hear about the privileges and practice of the church. As a primarily Gentile group, this audience would almost entirely consist of pagans. All Christians need to know what the church is all about, and this would be especially true for former pagan Gentiles, that is, non-Jews, especially at this time. Also, this audience would have unique issues that other more Jewish groups would not confront within the church. Paul's teaching in this letter concerns the church, the church universal, the church in every time and place. In other words, the focus is on what the church should look like and be like in all contexts. Paul's major focal point in his Ephesian message are the blessings, unity, and power of the church. The basic message is that all people, whether Jew or Gentile, are blessed, united, and powerful in Christ. Many people from the audience may have thought or been told that they, as Gentiles, were second-class citizens within the church. But Paul wanted to know that they were fully blessed in Christ. See, for example, and especially chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Not only were Jews and Gentiles equally blessed in Christ, but both groups were united in Christ. See, for example, chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. You see, the predominant image of the church in this letter is the church as the body of Christ. 
there is just one blessed body and not two, as Paul unpacks in chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. And finally, since most of the audience were formerly pagan Gentiles, most of them did not know about the power of the one true God. Paul saw the need for the audience to hear about the awesome power available in Christ. For example, in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, and chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. They would also need to hear about Christ's victory over every other spiritual power. Paul's message of the blessings, unity, and power of the church comes in two sections, chapters 1 through 3 and chapters 4 through 6. Like some other letters of Paul, this letter has an ethical section following a theological one. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 marks the beginning of Paul's moral exhortations, which build on the foundation of theological explanation that Paul laid in chapters 1 through 3. This verse reads, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This verse testifies to Paul's imprisonment and provides a transition from Paul's theological section to the ethical section. This calling refers backward to the privileges of the church Paul unpacked in the theological section. The worthy walk Paul speaks of looks forward to the practices Paul lays out in the ethical section of chapters 4 through 6. So that's Ephesians. On to Philippians. The audience consists of believers in the city of Philippi, an important city in the Roman province of Macedonia. Paul visited this city and evangelized many there during his second missionary journey. See Acts chapter 16, verses 9 through 40. Many people in the city had the privilege of being Roman citizens, based on references in the book of Philippians, for example, chapter 1, verse 27, and chapter 3, verse 20, the audience of this letter was made up of people who had this citizenship. Also, it is clear from Acts and Paul's letters that Paul had a close and long-lasting relationship with this group of believers. The situation Paul addressed here is perhaps the most positive among Paul's letters. The Philippians had previously provided aid for Paul during his ministry work. See chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. And they were able to give again for the cause of supporting both Paul and the gospel. See chapter 4, verse 10. By sending Epaphrodites and their gifts with him. See chapter 2, verse 25. Chapter 4, verse 18. There were, however, less positive aspects to the situation behind the writing of this letter. The Philippians had some problems with unity and still needed encouragement for their spiritual growth. In addition to this, a potentially dangerous group could have negatively influenced them. This group, which may have been the group of the Judaizers, which we saw in Galatians, was leading many Christians there away from trusting in Christ and his saving work on the cross. It was necessary, therefore, for the Philippians to hear about how they should live in light of Christ's good news. Paul had three basic purposes in writing the letter of Philippians as we unpack its message. These are update, exhortation, and gratitude. One of Paul's purposes was to update the Philippians concerning his condition and destiny in prison, as he speaks of in chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. 
and also to update them concerning the future visits of Epaphroditus and Timothy to them. Chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Another purpose was exhortation. Paul gave the Philippians many different exhortations. Many of those exhortations have to do with the topic of unity. See chapter 1, verse 27 through chapter 2, verse 11, and chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Another major focal point is the warning about the message and example of a certain group of false teachers that we just spoke about. See chapter 3, verse 1 through chapter 4, verse 1. Finally, Paul wrote in order to express his gratitude for the Philippians' gifts and long-term support. See chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. And throughout the letter, Paul rejoiced and invited the Philippians to rejoice with him. Paul's reason for joy was God's saving work and ministry through Paul and the Philippians, who were all servants of Christ. Next, we move to Colossians. The audience is comprised of a group of Christians in the city of Colossae. These believers could have come from one or more congregations of that city, it seems. During the time of the writing of this letter, Colossae was located in the Roman province of Asia, and more specifically, within the Lycus River Valley. The other cities in this valley were Laodicea and Hierapolis. Evidence in the letter seems to indicate that Epaphras brought the gospel to Colossae and that the Colossians had a close relationship with him. See chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, and chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. While it is not easy to construct the situation that led Paul to write this letter to the Colossians, a few things are clear. Number one, Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. See chapter 4, verse 18. Second, this letter was prompted by a report from Epaphras. See chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, 7 and 8, and chapter 2, verse 1. Third, the Colossians were doing well in their walks with Christ, but were in danger because of some false teachings about Christ in the Christian life. And finally, number four, the letter of Colossians has some relationship with Paul's letter to Philemon. Paul's message to these believers in Colossae whose spiritual condition was being threatened by this false teaching was that there is fullness in Christ. The Colossians were in danger of being misled about who Christ is and consequently what the Christian life is all about. This false teaching claimed that Christ, his person, and his work was insufficient for experiencing true life. So Paul centered the letter on Christ and his sufficiency. Paul's method of dealing with the false teaching was to affirm what was true about Christ. While the false teaching played down the significance of Jesus Christ, Paul and Paul told the Colossians the truth and reality about and in Christ. Paul starts off with theology in chapters 1 through 2 and then transitions into ethics in chapters 3 and 4. However, this is not a strict division between these two sections, for both theological exposition and moral exhortation are present in each section. The most important passage in the body of the letter is chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, I believe, which focuses on Christ's supremacy. As I read these verses, you can hear the grand cosmic vision of Christ and hear how he is supreme over all other beings that are created and how he is above all. These verses read, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn is a title of preeminence. 
For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And finally, we can unpack together Paul's letter to Philemon. Paul wrote this letter to one individual. While it may seem that Aphia, Archippus, and a whole house church are part of the audience, only Philemon makes up the letter's audience, the true audience. See verses 1 and 2. The concerns and purpose of the letter are directed toward Philemon and not these other people. Philemon is the master of Onesimus, and Paul's letter is focused on the master-slave relationship of Philemon and Onesimus. The letter of Philemon is unique among the letters of the New Testament because it is addressed to one person about one very specific situation. Paul wrote three other letters to individuals, First and Second Timothy and Titus, but no other New Testament letter has such a specific situation behind the writing of it. Also, again, Philemon is one of the four prison letters, and this provides some of the context. Sometime before the writing of Paul's letter to Philemon, Onesimus somehow met Paul in prison. The letter seems to indicate that Paul converted Onesimus to the Christian faith and formed a close relationship with him. Onesimus was like a quote-unquote son to Paul. See verse 10. Paul seemed to know that Onesimus had run away and even possibly stole from his master Philemon. Onesimus is returning to his master, and Tychicus is traveling with him and most likely carrying this letter and Paul's letter to the Colossians as well. And for that connection, see Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. Paul wrote this letter to Philemon for Onesimus' sake. You see, in the first century Greco-Roman world, slaves were generally seen as property, not people. Because of this view, slaves could easily receive harsh treatment and even deadly treatment from their masters for any reason. When slaves ran away from their masters, the masters had legal recourse to punish and even kill their slaves. Runaway slaves returned to their masters at their own peril. However, not all masters were the same. Paul must have known that Philemon was the kind of master that could have forgiven Onesimus and received him without retribution. Onesimus entrusted himself to Paul and his ability to persuade Philemon to receive him back in a positive way. And Paul did, in fact, write a persuasive letter. Paul's manner of persuasion in this letter is gentle but firm and subtle but powerful. Paul's goal in this letter was to be persuasive but not manipulative. Paul wanted Philemon to be reconciled to his runaway slave and to allow Philemon to experience the full life as a brother in Christ. Essentially, Philemon needed to see Onesimus more as a brother in Christ than a runaway slave. Like Paul's letter to the Colossians, the message of Philemon can be summarized with the phrase, fullness in Christ. While this message is most clear in Paul's appeal to Philemon in 
verses 8 through 22, the introduction and conclusion around it are also important in understanding how Paul communicates his message through the letter. And so these are Paul's prison letters. They all seem to share some very common themes about who Christ is and who we are as the church and how we can live out this life together. So I invite you to explore these books and let them speak to you. Some people are now calling these letters the quarantine letters because it speaks to a sense of confinement of being trapped. And so maybe God might speak to you during this time through these letters. Thanks so much for joining us for our Year in the Bible podcast. If you'd like to hear more about our Year in the Bible campaign to subscribe or learn how you can become engaged with us as a church, please visit us at cpchb.org.